Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, season two, episode 19. I'm Nick Carparelli, the executive director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by ESPN senior writer, Ryan McGee, Texas Tech head football coach, Joey McGuire, and the executive director and CEO at the Pasadena Tournament of Roses, David Eads. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest began working at ESPN in 1994 as a production assistant. During his career, he has written for Sports Illustrated, USA Today, and currently for ESPN.com. He's the co-host of Marty and McGee, which airs on the SEC Network and ESPN Radio. Please welcome to the show ESPN senior writer, Ryan McGee. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's, I always say it's the most wonderful time of the year. And, uh, and it, 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 this year has certainly not disappointed when it comes to bowls. Well, let's, let's start by talking about this year's bowl season and, and, uh, right to the top, we've had some great bowl games this year, but Saturday we were treated to two of the best CFP semifinals. I think we've had in the verbal Fiesta bowl and the Chick-fil-A peach bowl. What was your impression of those games? Oh, it was it was relief. Honestly, it was funny because I was in Atlanta uh, for the Peach Bowl, and you, I'm there obviously co-hosting the show on the SEC Network. And so, all of the questions were, you know, Georgia this and Georgia that. I'm like, I just want good football games, you know, and and that's how I always feel. And finally, we had a great semifinal day from beginning to end. It, it was it was amazing. And you know, we yes, we all remember the Rose Bowl with Oklahoma and Georgia. But you're kind of hard pressed to remember a lot of great, you know, CFP semifinal games, and we had two classics on the same day. So yeah, and to me, uh, the build up to those games were all the incredible games that we'd had, you know, during the holidays. And so yeah, it's been I, I, I've been racking my brain uh, ever since um, you know the January second games wrapped up, which is you know is this has this been the best bowl season ever? And I think certainly on the field, you got a pretty good argument um, from the beginning all the way up to you know where we're headed for the championship game. It, it very well might have been, might have been. Uh, tell us which which bowl games other than those semifinals did you enjoy the most? Well, I mean, you know, for those of you if you see on video, I've got my old school Tennessee jerseys hanging in the background, and uh, I went to Tennessee. My wife, uh, I met my wife. She's a Knoxville girl. It's much better for my marriage when Tennessee uh, is relevant and wins games. And so that win in the Orange Bowl was a big deal. But to me, uh, the the mark of a great game is when you're riding the remote and you look away from a game for a minute and then you go back and go, what just happened right there? And so when I go back to, you know, what we saw, I mean, obviously in the Cotton Bowl and what we saw, um, you know, with Arkansas and Kansas, um, I mean, I, I just – the games where you, you, you tempt yourself to look away for a minute and then you're penalized because you missed, you know, a two touchdown comeback, you know, or a three score comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, those are the ones I walk away with, um, you know, just just thankful that I watched. You've always been a big fan of support of bowl season and bowl games. Obviously, you love college football. Yeah. What is your view of bowl season and the value it has for the thousands of student athletes who play and the millions who watch? Well, for me, it's personal. You know, my my father was a college football official for 40 years. Uh, he worked two dozen postseason games. Um, you know, my family, uh, you know, we wrote a book about it a couple of years ago, Sidelines and Bloodlines. I gave you a copy of it, I think, the first time we I met. And, and uh, But, you know, my dad worked 
Rose Bowls and he worked Liberty Bowls and he worked, you know, he worked Sega Las Vegas Bowls on Christmas Day. I mean, he ran the gamut. And so we would spend our holidays in San Diego for the Holiday Bowl and in Jacksonville for the Gator Bowl and in, in Orlando, you know, for the Citrus Bowl. And so this is what I grew up with. And um, we loved him so much. And, and the, the my father would work all year in the ACC and in the Big East as an official. And his reward was getting that bowl assignment. And I can remember clear as a bell, you know, sitting in class in middle school and high school and waiting for the tap on the door. And it was a note from dad because he called the office and said, we're going to the Gator Bowl, right? Or, or we're going to Liberty Bowl. And, and that was a big moment for our family. And as a result, we watched them all, man. My my brother and I as kids, we used to take post-it notes. And we would we would for Christmas break, high school, college, whatever, and we would put post-it notes on the wall of every game, uh, who was playing, and uh, you know, where we could watch it. We wake up in the morning and look at the wall. All right, it's Tuesday, you know, d- December the 30th. We got three games today. They start at noon, you know, get a bowl of cereal and let's go. And so we used to make we, our, our rule when we were watching bowl games at our house was we always had a bucket of footballs that dad would have brought from, from games he'd worked or, or that we had from our high school. You had to hold a football, you know, while you're watching the games. And if you didn't tuck it, you know, somebody's going to slap it out of your hand, just like practice. I have a picture of my mother sitting there, you know, eating a bowl of chili with one arm and holding a football with the other. Cause in the McGee house, that was a rule. So I just love it. And what I learned from my, from my father's experience was what you're talking about which is the part I think people lose sight of is that this is a reward for a season, you know, and whether you won 11 games or whether you won six games, you work just as hard, no matter what team you're on. And for so many of the the kids in uniform in these games, it's the last time they ever put on pads. It's the last time they'll ever wear a helmet and win or lose it's a chance to play one more football game and ride on the bus one more time and be in the locker room one more time. And so that's something that I've always um, been very sensitive about because it's, you don't, I mean, most of the people in that game, that's their last game. All those seniors, all, all those, all those uh, students that are playing their last, been playing football since they were five years old. And to me, that's the most poignant moment of every bowl game, no matter whether it's a playoff or whether it's, you know, the first game of the season. Well, we obviously appreciate that point of view. We, I couldn't have, I couldn't have said that better myself. So, so help me out, Ryan. So, not everybody thinks the way you do, and, yeah. and it puzzles me. Like everything you said, there are things that I say. Sometimes when you have a job, you can be accused of of spinning things a little bit, and it might be a little outrageous. I don't think sure. anything you said is a spin. Like I, I think that's facts. And I think about the fact that there's 130 institutions that play football at the FBS level. The playoffs go into 12 right? The 12 opportunities for these student athletes is not enough for all of postseason college football. And then you think about the games you mentioned this year, teams that would not have been in the in any form of playoff, right? You think about South Carolina upsetting two top 10 teams to get eight and four and playing Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl. Great game. You think about North Carolina, Oregon in the Holiday Bowl. What a great game. Pitt's comeback in, in the Sun Bowl. Um, was awesome. The Liberty Bowl, you know, those two teams, you know, they're not going to be in any playoff. But what what's wrong with those games? Like, why would people be against those, Ryan? What do you think the reason is? Yeah, and I've written this column a half a dozen times. I mean, I did the ESPN daily podcast with Pablo Torre leading in the bowl games. Uh, 
you're standing on this soapbox, which is I don't understand why you don't want more football, right? I don't understand. Just as a football fan, why do you not want more football? I just think it's something to gripe about. I mean, listen, I'm I'm wearing my my Myrtle Beach Bowl hoodie, right? And uh, Marty Smith and I were fortunate to be the sideline reporters for the first two editions of that game. And this is from uh, two years ago. This is Tulsa and Old Dominion. And both of those teams started the season in my bottom 10 that I write for ESPN.com and somehow dug their way out of that hole and they got to go to the beach and, you know, they got to have a great time and they got to have this experience. And again, so many of those players, it was the last time they'll ever play football. I don't care what it is you participated in. If you were uh, in high school, if you were in high school musicals or if you swam or if you played lacrosse, what would we not all give to have one more chance to do that and to have one more game to to properly say goodbye to the sport that we love and to the teammates that you love? Because what do we what do we hear all the time from athletes when you go to a retired athlete, whether in the Hall of Fame or whether someone you've forgotten about, and you say, "What do you miss about playing football or any sport?" They don't talk about the wins and losses. They don't talk about the rings. They don't talk about the trophies. They talk about riding a bus and they talk about going to dinner with the teammates and they talk about being in the locker room and they talk about being a part of that group. And so the opportunity for these athletes to do that. And and if you're a fan, your team gets extra practice and they get to play one more game. And I think about, again, with the Mortal Beach Bowl, the, the inaugural Mortal Beach Bowl is in 2020. Nightmare year for everyone, right? But I think about we had North Texas and Appalachian State in that game. And North Texas, I think, found out the night before that none of their linebackers could play because of COVID. And and they had had like half a dozen games either canceled or rescheduled during the year. And they looked so exhausted, but they were so excited to get one more football game in and to play one more game. And then if you see the way these teams celebrate, um, you tell me those games don't mean something. They mean something. They do. And and what I would say to people is, I mean, watch on television, right? I mean, listen, I work for ESPN. I want you to watch all the games. But go to a game. You know, go to a bowl game. Because I think that my experience as a kid growing up and going to these games and seeing in person and going to the parade and going to the pep rally and seeing the hotel lobbies full. And I remember going to Disney World. And you go to Disney World like on December the 30th. and You'd have the the Gator Bowl people there, and you'd have, you know, back then the Hall of Fame Bowl, we, we called it in Tampa, and you'd have the Citrus Bowl folks and even the Orange Bowl folks, and they're all at Disney World on December 30th, and everyone's got their colors on for eight different teams. And it just, the spirit involved with that, to me, it's just it's an experience, and it's not just about those 60 minutes. It's about the days leading up to it, and it's about what the athletes get to do. I live in Charlotte. Uh, we have the Duke's Mayo Bowl here in town. I took my teenage daughter to the mall um, during the holidays and there were the Maryland Terrapins and the North Carolina State Wolfpack and they just had a shopping spree at a department store at the mall. They're having a great time. You know, it's just to me, it's going to the event and experiencing the event, I think would help everyone understand a little bit that, you know, it's not just about pro prospects. It's not just about opt-outs. It's not just about, you know, what your final record was in the regular season. It's it's super fun. I, I love football. And I love fun. And, you know, bowl games have both of those by the bushel. Well said. 
Well, you and uh, you mentioned this. You and Marty got the chance to be ambassadors for the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Yeah, the last couple of years, not this year, but the first two years. I know you guys had a lot of fun with that. How did that come about, and what was the experience like? Uh, we started lobbying immediately. We were in the middle of uh, recording an episode of the show, and the press release went out uh, that the Myrtle Beach Bowl was was becoming a thing. And right there live on the show, we're like, wait a minute, this this email just came in. We had no idea that was coming. Um, and we immediately were like, well, well, who else needs to be involved in the Myrtle Beach Bowl broadcast, you know, than the two, you know, unofficial rednecks of ESPN or official rednecks of ESPN, the guy from Western Virginia and the guy from Eastern North Carolina, both of us having grown up, you know, going to Myrtle Beach. And so, yeah, we're immediately started lobbying. And uh, uh, Burke Magnus, who you know is is an executive at ESPN, has been a friend of mine for twenty something years. And immediately, we're texting and emailing Burke, dude. We got to work this game. We got to work this game. We got to work this game. And uh, and that was that, that announcement came more than a year before that game was played. And uh, and finally, Burke came on our show and and announced that we would be working the game. And it was so much fun. You know, we got to go down to uh, to the ocean and got some saltwater taffy and got some airbrush T-shirts. And what was awesome, and this is what I love about bowl games, is that it gave us an opportunity while having poking a little fun at it. It gave us an opportunity to kind of highlight what's great about Myrtle Beach. And you know, when 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 I would go to the Holiday Bowl or if I go cover a bowl game, I go to the Sun Bowl. You know, it's a showcase for. El Paso and for San Diego and for Myrtle Beach. So, and to me, that's what's so much fun about it. So yeah, we had a great time and uh, yeah, they lit us. I mean, I wore the, I wore the, uh, what the, uh, the, the hookah beads or whatever they call them and the, and the, and the sunglasses and the, the airbrush t-shirt. I felt like I was back in high school uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, back in the eighties. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. It looked pretty sharp. Yeah. Let's talk about your career a little bit. You started out as a research employee for ESPN, slowly built up your experience. You know, you you know, more recently, you know, it's been a been a few years now. You aligned with Marty. The Marty and McGee show was born. Tell us about the path to where you are today at ESPN. Well, I started ESPN entry level right out of college, right at the University of Tennessee, is what we call a production assistant. And and basically you answer the phones and you rip scripts and you do stats and you build graphics and and uh and you cut highlights for Sports Center. And this was in the 90s, right? I'm dating. I, clearly, I started ESPN when I was nine years old, right? That's we're just going to go with that. But, but this is in the 90s. And this is the big show with Dan Patrick and Keith Oldman and you know, Chris Berman and these guys. And it's like going to Harvard. It was. It, it, for TV, Harvard is what I call it. And so I was the only person in Bristol, Connecticut at the time with a Southern accent. And NASCAR was becoming a big deal. Uh, Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt, thank you guys. And uh, and I ended up moving back to North Carolina to help start a nightly motorsports show. But the dream was always to do motorsports, but also work on college football. And I had to wait a long time to do that. And I started writing for ESPN, the magazine, uh, when the magazine started in the late 90s and immediately started to, to get to work a little some college football assignments. And over the years um, and a couple of different places where I worked, I ended up back at ESPN as a senior writer for ESPN the magazine and started covering college football. I mean, almost full on. And so, uh, you know, that evolved into a little bit of TV work, a little bit of radio work. And, uh, and Marty and I had known each other forever. Um, uh, those of you that don't like Marty, I'm the TV producer back in the day who first put Marty on TV. So my fault. And, uh, and now we're working together as coworkers and have for a long time. And, and I can tell you this, and it happened in Atlanta, when we did our show, 
uh, there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium leading up to the Peach Bowl. We do it every time. As soon as that show is over with, I look at Marty, he looks at me, and he goes, I can't believe it let us do this. And that's exactly how we feel. And so uh, being able to stand with my friend, uh, and he's a, a genuine friend on the sideline uh, for some amazing historic college football moments um, has been one of the joys of my life. And so, yeah, um, and that includes, you know, standing on the sideline for the first two Myrtle Beach Bowls. Last question for you, Ryan. You mentioned uh, your book earlier, one of your books. You've, you've written a few. Sidelines and Bloodlines of Father, His Sons, and Our Life in College Football. Um, really a great read. For, for those people who haven't uh, read it, you you do talk a lot about um, the bowl games that your your dad worked. And I, I think his last game ever, was it an Orange Bowl? Yeah, it was the it was the 09 BCS Championship. It was uh, Tim, uh, Tim Tebow versus Sam Bradford, Florida and Oklahoma. So talk a little bit about the, you know, going to watch your dad work at a bowl game, but then also being a fan of football, watching the bowl game, and then that last game specifically. Yeah, well, well people ask me, you know, why did I – how did I end up doing what I'm doing for a living? And I have my first sideline credentials when I was uh, – had just turned 13. I was standing on the sideline for a huge regular season game. North Carolina was playing at Virginia. I actually got run over by a linebacker in that game. I remember looking around and thinking, everyone here, all these grownups are getting paid to be here today. How do you get to do this? I don't want to be an official because I watch people scream and yell. I learned how to cuss listening to people yell at my dad every Saturday. I don't want to do that. But I wanted to figure out how to be on the sideline and in a press box. And um, and that very year, my dad worked his first bowl game. He worked the uh, – it was the Gator Bowl, uh, Oklahoma State, and, and Thurman Thomas um, against uh, South Carolina. And um, and it was uh, it was it was a huge moment for our family because again, my dad had worked so hard working JV games and high school games and small college games, and was in his third or fourth year, you know, in Division One in the ACC at that point. And the payoff was he worked a game on t- on TV on New Year's Eve, you know, and it was the Gator Bowl. I mean, it was a huge deal. And he was in the Citrus Bowl just a couple of years later, and then we're in the Orange Bowl. In 1990, uh, what was a de facto national championship game between Notre Dame and and uh, Colorado? Not the clip game, not not the not the Rocket Ismail game. Dad had the game the year before when uh, when Notre Dame upset. He didn't uh, call the Colorado. Clip. Yeah, in the old Orange Bowl. Yeah, and uh, so it was. But but th- that was again. That's the environment I grew up in, and so that's why I loved it. And we do write about it in the book. Which those are your holidays, right? You spend your holidays in hotel rooms. And spending New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, you know, at the Rose Parade. Dad worked two Rose Bowls, um, you know, at the Orange Bowl, um, you know, at the Fiesta Bowl. And honestly, the games we enjoyed the most, all due respect to those New Year's Day games, the games we enjoyed the most were, you know, the Liberty and the Holiday and, you know, the Vegas Bowl and and some games that don't even exist anymore because it was fun. And, and that's when I realized you know, the magic of the bowl season, because it's just, it's fun. It's just, you know, it's okay to have fun and it's okay to love more football. And then, you know, also, by the way, you know, guys get to wear rings for the games that they won. And I just, uh, the magic of that has has never been lost on me. I first, I was fortunate to experience as a kid and I still feel like a kid when I go to these games. Well, Ryan, uh, we've taken enough of your time. Thank, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate all you do for the game of college football. You know, every every journalist, every every member of the media, you know, has a different tone to what they do. 
you're so uh, positive and passionate about the sport. We like to say that bowl season's a celebration of college football, and I don't think anybody celebrates it more than you do. So we we really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that. And literally, I mean, I'm sitting in my office, and it's just I got look, look I got if you look at the video, I got Rose Bowl stuff and Mayo Bowl stuff. Like this is this is all that's that's from that Citrus Bowl I'm talking about. It's all. My, to my wife's chagrin, it's like a bowl museum in, my, in our basement. <laughs> good stuff. That's good stuff. Looks like my house a little bit. I thought I, I thought I had the, the most stuff. You might have me beat. We've been at it a little longer. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate you having me. Thank, thank, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We're going to take a short break and be right back with Texas Tech head football coach Joey McGuire. Stay with us. After bowl season comes tax season, and this year you too can feel like a winner with a guaranteed max refund from TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today and for details and disclosures on the maximum refund guarantee. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest just completed his first season as the head football coach at Texas Tech University with a victory in last week's TaxAct Texas Bowl. Please welcome to the show, Texas Tech head football coach, Joey McGuire. Coach, thanks for joining us. Man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, first of all, congratulations on a successful first season as head coach. As we said, you closed it out with a 42-25 victory in the Tax Act Texas Bowl over an old Miss team that was ranked in the top 10 at one point this season. What does this win do for your program, both as closure for this season and a reward for a successful season, uh, as well as setting you up for next year. It's always great to play in a bowl game, win a bowl game, and get a little bit of momentum heading into the offseason. It, it, it was huge for us because we have so many guys coming back. Um, We've got 10 offensive players, come, 10, 10 offensive starters coming back, and eight defensive starters coming back. And so we really uh, were pushing that hard of, you know, this is, this is what 2023 can look like. And um, so that was huge. And then – you know, in this day and age of uh, conference realignment and all that stuff, uh, anytime you can play and beat a SEC team um, is it, a big deal. And I, I think it's a really big deal, uh, you know, for the new Big 12 uh, to be able to be playing that well at the end of the year. We talk a lot about the value of the bowl week experience for the players. Fans turn the TV on in December for three hours and they see the game. But you guys are are, are in the bowl destination for a week. There's you know, uh, team building, uh, team bonding, you know, um, being able to spend time with each other. What was this year's bowl game experience like for the student athletes? Um, you know, the, the week was huge for us. Um, when we had a blast, uh, the, the Texas bowl does such a great job house hospitality wise. Um, the rodeo was a blast. Uh, I think we had an advantage over Ole Miss cause we have a couple of Cowboys on our team. So, you know, they, we, we dominated the, the rodeo bowl. And then I told our guys, I said, look, we're going to have a great time when we're off the field. We're going to have a lot of fun, but we're, we really grinded. Like we were taking advantage of every single bowl practice. I mean, my young guys got 15 practices in and then my older guys, I, I kind of took care of them and their bodies, but man, we really took advantage of trying to get better as a football team, whenever it came to bowl practice. Now you opened the game with a touching tribute to former Texas tech coach Mike Leach when was that decision made and how did your team react when you told them you know they they uh the day that coach passed uh we actually um you know had uh workouts and uh just talking about it you know they they a lot of our guys are Texas kids and and uh 
you know, Coach Leach had such a huge impact on Texas high school football. You know, you think, hey, he had an impact on college football, but I don't think people understand the impact he had on Texas high school football also, uh, you know, being in the state for so long. Um, talked to Lane Kiffin, said, man, I'd love to do this. Uh, appreciate if you had declined the penalty. And, you know, we uh, we got in big splits and took a delay a game, you know, just tipping our hat to to Coach Leach and what he did, you know, in the state and for this university. You were part of three other bowl games as an assistant at Baylor. You mentioned tax act, uh, the Texas Bowl. You were part of that once before in 2018 when at Baylor. Then two Sugar Bowls at the conclusions of the 2019 and 2021 seasons. What are some of your best memories from those games? <laughs> well, the the, la- the last one I really love because, uh, you know, I kind of had a, an idea that the guys were going to have cigars in the locker room, um, but I had no idea they had them on the sideline. I mean, I don't know who had them, but our offensive guard, our senior uh, offensive guard, Weston Wright, and then Sir Roderick Thompson, our, our running back, man, they were already had them lit up. I think we were shaking hands. So I turned around and looked, and I just kind of started laughing and, you know, just enjoying the moment. Um, that that was a great moment. That was a really good moment for us. And then, you know, the 2018, it's funny going back again to the Texas Bowl. The 2018 was such a huge moment because I, I wasn't there in 2016, but you're you come into 2017, you go one and eleven at Baylor. You know, you're coming off a, a terrible um, you know, things that went on there that that you know, you don't know what went on, but you know something went on. And it's just, it was uh, it was such a downtime at Baylor. There was like this dark cloud hanging over us. And to be able to go in that bowl and everybody, if you go to the Sugar Bowl, you better tape your ankles because a week in New Orleans, along with bowl practice and all the events. And, you know, the first year we stayed right by Harris and my wife likes to gamble a little bit. So we were over there. And so there was some late nights, uh, but had, had a lot of fun. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that first Texas uh, bowl appearance, you know, everybody likes to focus on the playoff, right. And expanding to 12 teams, but, and I think you'll agree with me, coach, there's so much meaning uh, behind all the other bowl games. Not every program can aspire to be in the playoff every single year. Every every program's at a different point in their development. Some are building, some are rebuilding, and for your, for the Baylor program that year, just getting to a bowl game, having that experience, winning it w- was was huge. You, I don't think you could have gotten to the Sugar Bowl had you not played in the no. Sugar Bowl first. Hi, talk, talk, what, what do you? How do you feel about that and the value of all the other bowl games? You know, with this new expanded playoff on the horizon. Yeah, you know, um, I hundred percent agree, man. There's no way we actually talked about that. That there was, you know, no way we were going to be able to do what we did in 2019 at Baylor if we don't play in, in that bowl game. Um, you know, I said it after we got through with our our Texas Bowl um, that coaches that discount being in a bowl, I think it's it's ridiculous. I You know, I think they're missing the point of why you're in a bowl. There's, there's so many rewards for your seniors that have worked their tails off for you. And that's what we did. When we looked at it that way, you know, we were like, this is going to be a great experience for our seniors. And then we turned around and looked at like, this is a building experience for our young guys. And then at the end of the day, to have one more game with your team, um, for me is, is you know, I, I, I can't think of anything that's more important. So whenever I hear people talk about, 
you know, all these bowls or I hear coaches discount or I hear even broadcasters talk about, well, you know, they didn't want to play. Man, I know this is going to sound crazy, but my mom, my grandmother used to say, shame on you, man. Shame on you for taking that away from college football and, and just the pageantry and everything that's special about college football. And we'll never do that. I'll never do that. If we, every opportunity we have to play in a bowl game, we're going to make it a big deal. And, you know, I don't care where it's at and, you know, who we're playing. We're going to make it a real big deal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, Coach, that 20 years down the road, these a lot of these kids, not, not, none of them are going to say, boy, I wish I wish I didn't. I wish I skipped that game. You know, yeah, but we're going to have a lot of guys saying, God darn it. I'd, I'd give anything to play in one more college football game with my friends. Um, that's a that's a little bit uh, sad for me when I see some of these guys opting out for the wrong reasons. Coach, uh, your coaching career path is interesting. You are a high school head coach. Uh, you are your high school coach for most of your career. You were a head coach yeah. for 14 years at Cedar Hill High School for accepting your first college assistant coaching position for Matt Rule at Baylor. Then five, five years later, you're named the head coach at Texas Tech. Is any of this a surprise to you or was this all part of your plan? Nah, man, uh, I would say surprise because I never thought I'd leave high school. You know, I, I love Cedar Hill. Uh, we, we had a great culture. Um, you know, we were winning, um, you know, and, and had an opportunity to win every single year. Uh, but then at the end, kind of getting closer where my son was getting to graduate, I kind of felt like this ending of a chapter and needing something different. And I'll tell you what, man, I can't, I think, I thank the Lord every single day that I got with Matt rule. Um, because if I hadn't, I wouldn't be sitting here. He, he was the guy that bridged the gap between what high school head coaches have to do and what college head coaches have to do. And there's not a lot of difference, but there is a, a difference whenever you're talking about roster management and scholarships and literally from day one started pouring into me and, you know, I think that's a huge reason why we, we're successful at Texas Tech. Well, it's been the biggest adjustment to being a Division One head coach that you weren't expecting. And, and what do you think you learned in this first season at this level that's going to help you the most as you head into next year? Well, the, I think the thing I learned the most, and I've learned it throughout my career and, you know, every day or every time around players, it just justifies it. I mean, if you love and care about the players and put them first, you're going to have a great opportunity to build a great culture. And I do. I tell everybody, you know, they're like, golly, you always have all this energy. And I said, man, all I need to do is be around my players. If I can get around the players, it's like a, I've been plugged into a, you know, a huge outlet of, of power because it just they just fire me up and, and get me excited. You know, the things that I learned um, that there isn't that much difference, but just the responsibility you have, of the magnitude of the fan base and the alumni. Um, you know, our university is bigger than Cedar Hill whenever you're talking about attendance. So whenever you start talking about just the sure numbers, you know, and I really I, I, I thought I had an idea of what the Red Raider nation and the, the fan base was all about until I got out here. And, man, it, it is some there's there's nothing like it. They're passionate. They love their team. They'll get behind you, you know, and, and it's been, it's been an incredible first year to understand that uh, and what Texas Tech is all about. Well, we're a long way from kicking off the 2023 season, but what do you anticipate Texas Tech football will look like next year? And we're excited. We, you know, like I said, we've got a lot of guys coming back. Um, we've got a really young group of uh, redshirt freshmen and, and sophomores that are ready to take the next step. Um, and 
I told them the first day I got in there, when you walk through uh, the doors at Texas Tech, you know, we expect to be bowl eligible. And it was huge to make a bowl because that helped us, you know, keep creating that expectation. You know, we talk all the time. We're here to play for the Big 12 championship. You know, we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to work every day to get there. And, you know, and so that's our expectation that we're playing in that game next year. And um, can't wait. We got another week before the guys are back in, but I can't wait to get started, you know, to, to after that goal of 2023 playing in the Big 12 championship. Well, Coach, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I know you're busy. We really appreciate it. I really, really love the job that you did this year at Texas Tech. Can't wait to watch your team next year. College football is really lucky to have you. Uh, and so thanks for everything you do. Man, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Our final guest is the executive director and CEO at the Pasadena Tournament of Roses, David Eads. David, thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Nick. How's it going today? It, it's it's going very well. I hope you got some rest yesterday. Your game was just a couple days ago. I was there. Looked amazing as always. But tell me, for how did this year's game go for you and your staff? And how was the, the overall preparation and executing this year's game compared to the past? You know, you know, obviously, we're always excited come January 1st. This year, January 2nd, to put on a game. You know, the preparations went well. We worked with two great universities, you know, the University of Utah and Penn State University. You know, we always have to be flexible in dealing with any situation that arises. So, again, we had a little bit of rain during the week. Um, it almost held out for the entire game, but we didn't quite make it through the game. But, you know, a little weather, but, you know, it's still nice. Um, and we were coming off of two years where we were underneath some really heavy, you know, COVID protocols. So it was really nice to be back kind of full force this year and, and really be able to put on a full schedule uh, for the Rose Bowl game. You mentioned Penn State. Certainly the players on that team had had not been to the Rose Bowl before. Utah was there the year before. So maybe maybe those guys kind of knew the routine, uh, still appreciated it, I'm sure, either way. But tell us in general, how much did the student athletes and the two teams appreciate the trip to Pasadena? So, you know, again, when we get comments from from the uh, the athletes and um, and their families, you know, they really appreciated being here. You know, Coach Franklin was here for the 27, uh, 2017 game. So he had some familiarity, uh, obviously, with the Rose Bowl game. And then obviously Utah was here last year. But again, it's a it's, you know, for some of these young players, it's growing up watching this game on television and aspiring that one day they might be able to play in the Rose Bowl game. Um, and obviously for these two teams that that happened this year. So I I think it was really a special time and a special moment for all of them in their in their collegiate football careers that they could play uh, in the Rose Bowl game. Well, you know, the, your your game is, is certainly one of the top events on the American sports calendar every year, I, I, I think, um, nationally. But but locally, I think a lot of college football fans who do not live in California don't realize the special tradition that the Rose Bowl game holds for so many people in Southern California. Can you encapsulate how special that game and event are and why the history matters so much to the locals and many others? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to encapsulate exactly kind of the, the lore of the Rose Bowl game. But, you know, we have such a tradition within the college football, um, the history of college football, right? Our, our game goes back to 1902 was the first Rose Bowl game. So, college football and the Rose Bowl game kind of grew up together. And with that, many traditions that we still uphold to this day are, are still in place. So again, um, young kids, I grew up in the Midwest watching college football, um, watching the Rose Bowl game on, on New Year's Day, and it was part of our family tradition. 
And for the fans coming in, you also then combine that with with the Rose Parade that's held earlier in the day. Um, and then you go into tailgating in the game. It's just this full day of experience. And it's 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 really special. You were there, Nick. You, you know the electricity. You know the excitement. You know how special this is for the fans as well as for the players. Um, and again, that's why we're so proud. You know, this year, 94,000 people in this football stadium, a, a sold out stadium, are there really to celebrate the best in college football. Um, and that's really what the day is all about. Yeah, you mentioned the two fan bases being there. It kind of kind of re- reminded me of one of the things that I'm, I've been talking about a lot lately, and I know you're going to be 100% on board with this. It's it's the notion of the playoff games being uh, on, in home venues versus bowl games, you know, and I think people people overreact to the moment. You know, we had a, we had a lot of great regular season games this year where the home atmosphere was awesome. So people are saying, well, wouldn't it be awesome to have these in playoff games? But when I was at your game the other night, I, it, it reminded me of how much better and how unique the bowl game experiences for these playoff games, especially in your game, where you have half the stadium is red, mm-hmm. half the stadium is white. There's never a dull moment, right? If the home team's not doing well, there's a lull in the stadium. Well, in a bowl game, if one team's not doing well, the other fan base is rising up and then they take turns. It's almost like the fans are playing the game against each other simultaneous with the teams playing it on the field. Don't, don't you agree with that? I uh, totally agree with it. And, and you know, I, I can send you lots of photos where you see that that stadium divided within colors, right? And again, that's a tribute to our conference partners, the Big Ten and Pac-12. Again, this is a, a tradition that goes back to 1947, I believe, when we uh, signed our agreement to host these two conferences. Um, and people will tell us all the time, you know, I would much rather play in the Rose Bowl game than than any other game because that's where we want to be. Um, so it is those traditions that really make it special. And Again, you know, my hope is that even with whatever comes with the CFP, we can still have these traditions of fan engagement, right? We don't we don't want our bowl games to be transactional, fly in, play a game and fly out. Um, that's not what the bowl experience is about. We know it's going to change and we need to be flexible to that. Um, but you see the the enthusiasm from the alumni, from the students, from the fans, and then obviously from the players themselves. It really is a life changing event for many of these young people. Let's expand on that, you know, the the notion of the expanded CFP a little bit. And I, I usually don't ask very uh, many difficult questions on this podcast. And, and so I don't. <laughs> well, I don't think this was too difficult. I just want to give you a chance to to talk a little bit about some of the challenges the Rose Bowl faces in the new CFP expanded playoff. You know, of course, you know, we just talked about the Rose Bowl has been a New Year's Day tradition for a long time, but you've agreed to be flexible in order to be part of the new playoff when it begins in 2024. How hard was it to find that flexibility and how hopeful are you that the Rose Bowl will continue to hold the luster that it has for so long? Yeah, well, I would first say, you know, the the Rose Bowl game, we've been flexible throughout the history of college football going from, you know, the Alliance era to the the BCS to the to the CFP. We've always been flexible. And so it's not an issue for us of flexibility. But obviously, as we as everybody knows, we've got certain traditions that we want to uphold. And how do we work within this new format to do that? And so. You know, there's still lots of unknowns moving forward with the college football playoff expansion and what that could look like. Um, And we know we're going to have to be flexible to that. Um, But and we want to be a part of it. There's there's no doubt the Rose Bowl game wants to be a part of it. And I I believe needs to be a part of it. Um, We are, again, the granddaddy of them all and and the original postseason bowl experience. So, you know, we'll be working with the CFP and other partners to, to really flesh out what this future looks like as we move forward. 
Um, but there are things, obviously, that we'd like to continue to do that make our game so special. Well, it is, it is certainly very, very special. You do so many things so well in terms of putting on an event. What are what are some of the best practices you've learned over the years in, in putting on such a great event? You know, I've told my team every, you know, ever since I've been here, it's all about flexibility and it's about patience. You know, we've got to be flexible, as you know, when you're doing doing these type of events to to anything that can arise. And so that's a really a big part of who we are. You know, we ask for a lot of feedback. We we do meetings after this game with, you know, um, universities and colleges across the country on what works and what doesn't work with our game. And we make slight adjustments here and there. So really working collaborative um, with, you know, folks from across the country to, to make our game better. We don't know it all and we can we can improve every year. And then I think, you know, the key thing is the event is held once a year, right? We have one shot to get it right. And so we do a lot of planning, a lot of work. I have an incredible game team led by Kevin Ash and, and others. You know, they've years and years of experience. Um, we know how to put on a great experience, a great bowl game. Um, and that's what we aim to do every year. And, and I think finally, it's just, you know, working with all of our partners. You know, we can't do this alone. It, it takes a village. Uh, to raise a child and our child to Rose Bowl game, we, we've got to have a lot of people that we work with to make this right. And so our attitude is we we have to collaborate to be successful and, and we will continue to do that. So what are your goals for the Rose Bowl over the next few years? I mean, you've been doing it so well for so long. Can can you improve, you know, and, 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 and how? Every year we can, every year we can improve. You know, this year, as an example, being in our stadium, it's an older stadium, you know, loading the fans into the stadium. Everybody wants to stay outside till about 1.30 or 1.45 and then be in their seat at 2 o'clock. It doesn't work real well at the Rose Bowl. You know, so we've worked really hard to change um, the ability to pre-screen through security, our fan fest areas, that before the game starts now, almost half of the stadium has already been screened. So when you go into the stadium, you just show, an, you know, you show your ticket, move in. You're not stuck at, at gates going through bag checks and going through metal detectors. Those are all new things we've implemented over the past couple of years. So I think we'll we'll continue to evolve. We'll continue to, you know, to change um, and to improve. And that that's our goal with our game is, you know, we 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 feel, you know, very special that that we are that granddaddy of them all. And we want to maintain that position as the preeminent, you know, postseason bowl game. Well, David, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate everything you do for the Rose Bowl, everything you do for college football. As you know, we, we like to say that bowl season is a celebration of college football and really no bigger celebration than the Rose Bowl. So thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick, for having me here today. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.